Good day, everyone. It is April 3rd, 2023. Pete Hofstra here with an update on North American equities. What a month. March. Interesting. Big sell-off mid-month triggered by Silicon Valley Bank and the run on the bank, which forced regulators, central bankers to step in, intervene, prevent contagion, stabilize the financial system, again, force a number of marriages uh, that may not have otherwise happened, all in order to stabilize the financial system. Uh, but what that did was it sort of alerted investors to say, well, look at this wall of tightening that was put in place last year. We weren't sure where it was going to hit, but either central banks are irrelevant or this magnitude of increases has got to hit somebody somewhere. And maybe we found out where. But the idea is, is that central banks, certainly the U.S., the candidates already happened, but in the U.S., they're going to have to stop raising rates a lot sooner and maybe even cut rates sooner than expected. So again, here's one of these bad news is good news. Um, the bad news for the financial market means interest rates go lower sooner, therefore good for equities and equities rallied. So I actually saw the U.S. market get into positive territory for the month. Uh, we didn't quite get there in Canada, really the bigger weight to the financials in our index and the you know, still elevated concern. There was a bit of a recovery, but elevated concern for the financial market means Canada did underperform the U.S. through the month of March. Let's talk about banks. So a couple of things I'd love to leave you with. Um, one is there is a fundamental structural fragility built into our banking system. And it's not going to go away. It's omnipresent and it's forever. And it really is this commitment to a fractional reserve system, which says that uh, banks can take in deposits and they can turn around and put that money to work. They can lend it out. They can do other things with it. So at any given point in time, the money isn't in the bank to make all depositors whole if they wanted all their money out. And we do that to support wealth creation, right? If you have fixed currencies, if banks have to hold all their deposits, it really limits what money can go out into the economy and support economic growth. So we do all of this um, to help job growth, to help companies grow, to do all that what we believe are good things. But it does embed this fragility. And so what we've had to do throughout history is create things like central banks that have a printing press, that have infinity on their side. So it doesn't matter what the number is, they can come up with it and they can bail out whatever is necessary. It makes us come up with things like deposit insurance. So you can put your money in a bank and know that it's, it's safely there up to a certain limit. And so one of the debates with Silicon Valley is, you know, once your deposit is beyond that limit, you know, is there an explicit or implicit guarantee. And I would say, of course there should be if you want you know, that kind of wealth put in banks. So if I'm Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, whatever, and I'm well beyond that you know, deposit insurance maximum, you know, if I want my money in something that's fairly low risk, wouldn't you rather me have it in a bank than sitting under my mattress, where at least if it's in the bank, it can, can be put to work and help with the wealth creation? So... All of that to say this fundamental fragility is built in. Banking crises are not going away. Uh, they're just going to happen every now and then. And really what triggered this one is that wall of tightening that was put in place last year. Uh, and it's not just the rapidity of the increases. It's the low level at which they started and the difference between stocks and bonds. So with stocks, of course, you know, if you own a stock, uh, the only way you get your money back is if you sell that stock. And so the price in the market is critically important information that tells you what money you could get back. Bonds are a bit different because bonds are a commitment. You lend money out 
uh, and you're, there's a contract to say that money will be paid back in a certain amount of time and you will get coupons between now and that maturity. So if you hold till maturity, you know what you're going to get. You're going to be made whole on the principal plus collect your coupon. But what happens in the meantime is bonds get revalued. So if I have a 5% coupon bond, it's $100 principal and it pays a 5% coupon and 10% bonds come available. The only way I can sell my 5% bond is if I sell it for 95, right? So the buyer says, I'm going to get a $5 lift on the principal from 95 to 100. I get the $5 coupon. That looks a lot like a $10 bond or sorry, a 10% bond, right? And so those things become equivalent, but that 5% coupon bond just got revalued. So Silicon Valley Bank took those deposits. They bought, I think, primarily what they thought were secure investments. And if they were held to maturity, there'd be lots of money back to pay all depositors. But given that wall of tightening, anyone who had a balanced portfolio, um, you know, you know, if you held any bonds, they went down just as stocks did last year. Uh, and so if depositors want their money and you're forced to sell your bond, you can't hold till maturity. All of a sudden you don't have enough money. That's really what's called a liquidity crisis. In theory, the asset value is there. It's just not there today. And that's what forced regulators to step in and they have to figure out what they're going to do. Can these bonds be, you know, sold at par? You know, what's they right? They're trying to come up with all kinds of creative solutions. But the dynamics to really think through, again, that fundamental fragility. And it's a handful of people that decide how we're going to manage the particular fragility. And that's the handful that run the central banks. They have the resources, right? And so, but we're sort of at the mercy of how quickly they respond, what type of response they have. You know, it can seem like you're playing favorites. You bail out a, you know, a, look at the Bear Stearns and the Lehman Brothers, right? Who do you pick? Who gets bailed out? Who doesn't? Um, or do you, do you sort of create implicit guarantees that weren't explicit, right? And so all of these things are, I think, again, are not going away. So in some ways, you know, is this a, a crisis? I think it's just a fundamentally part of how we run our financial system. And so there is an obligation on central bankers to make sure we get through this and ultimately uh, that's what we're doing. But again, that bad news is potentially good news for markets. So certainly something we'll continue to, to track. And the commentary from central banks is going to be quite important. But also if this financial risk um, does you know, increase the risk of a recession. And so maybe quickly on, on that point, what was interesting is um, OPEC announced um, some production cuts, you know, which would actually be supportive or increase the price of oil. Uh, which is not necessarily good for inflation. It's taken out of the core number. But when it comes to consumer spending, obviously energy is a big one. But part of why they did that is they saw the increased risk of recession with the potential for uh, a slowdown associated with the financial issues that exist within the system. The other part, though, is the U.S. has said they're not going to start to refill the strategic petroleum reserve anytime soon. And therefore, that buyer is not necessarily going to be out there. Uh, and I think finally, then they also see that shale producers have a strict capital discipline, so they feel they can have a lot more influence over price. So if they can cut production by 5% and get more than a 5% bump in price, they win on a revenue side. Uh, but that'll be important to watch too, whether that does trickle through to inflation. Of course, do the announced cuts become the real cuts? Uh, and that's always an issue with OPEC. So a few new, few new dynamics to watch. I mean, hopefully there's some interesting tidbits Again, I just think financial crises are something that, you know, we shouldn't expect to go away. They're, they're going to be there for a while. Um, I think with the marriages that were forced here, we probably get through this. But I think we're finally finding where that wall of tightening is really showing up. 
and that is in those bond portfolios and where they are collateral um, and that collateral gets revalued, that certainly has created risk. And so there may be some residuals associated with that dynamic, uh, but we think, you know, broadly with our portfolios, we're well positioned to navigate through this. And we'll leave it there for now. Uh, connect again with you next month. Be well. This podcast is provided as a general source of information and should not be considered personal, legal, accounting, tax, or investment advice, or construed as an endorsement or recommendation of any entity or security discussed. Investors should seek the advice of professionals prior to implementing any changes to their investment. Certain statements in this podcast are forward-looking that are predictive in nature, depend upon, or refer to future events or conditions. Forward-looking statements are subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those set forth. Although the forward-looking statements contained herein are based upon what CI Global Asset Management and the Portfolio Manager believe to be reasonable assumptions, neither CI Global Asset Management nor the Portfolio Manager can assure that actual results will be consistent with these forward-looking statements. Certain statements contained in this podcast are based in whole or in part on information provided by third parties, and CI Global Asset Management has taken reasonable steps to ensure their accuracy. Market conditions may change, which may impact the information contained in this podcast. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses all may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of return are the historical annual compounded total returns, net of fees and expenses, payable by the fund, including changes in security value and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions, and do not take into account sales, redemption, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns. Mutual funds are not guaranteed, their values change frequently, and past performance may not be repeated.